0: Good morning, if you do not know who I am, my name is Steve. I'm on the elder team with Mark, the other non-trampoline guy. And I'm also on the preaching team, and so here to go through some of God's word with you I wanna echo what Mark said uh, our children's programs coming up it's next week it's not tomorrow but the following Monday is when VBS is coming up um, and in chatting with Lori this morning we already have almost 50 kids signed up um, which is fantastic 50 kids coming here night after night after night and hearing about the monumental love of jesus i mean come on that's just fantastic um and so yes as mark said invite friends and family there's a sign up but we know folks are going to come in and not have signed up um, so the number will probably be higher than that but if you would pray uh, pray for those kids pray for the word to settle in their hearts and also pray for the weather it's one of those where the weather's going to matter. We can make anything work in this building and whatnot, but uh, it would be awesome to have great weather. So we are in the book of Colossians. And I want to, I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope that many of you were here last week, and if you weren't, You listen to the sermon online because as we go through Colossians, it's a short book. It's it's a sturdy letter that Paul wrote to some struggling Christians, but it flows. It truly flows. And if you follow, if you've got one of those ESV journals and you're able to, to see it and you're able to hear it, and then you're able to write your own notes, get all your senses involved in this book, um, that would really be my hope for you. But last week, uh, we did a, a sermon called A Savior, A Tribe, A Home, if you recall. And we talked about that getting the basics right is the key to following Jesus well. The folks in Colossae were struggling with teachers, throwing all kinds of different things at them. As I've told you, my theory is that Epaphras came to Paul and said, Paul, what do I do about these things? And Paul said, well, I'm going to write a letter, and I'm going to send it back with you. And read it to them. And the basics of a savior, a tribe, and a home, all gifts from God, are what we need so much. And then we celebrated communion together. We broke bread as a tribe as we meditated on these two verses. And I want to put them up here for you. Uh, Verses 13 and 14 of chapter 1 is where we ended talking about what God had done talking about how God, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The forgiveness of sins is where we camped last week as we celebrated communion together. The forgiveness of sins. And it, we talked about it's just nuts for us to imagine that God should forgive us and then... Send us right back to the same place, incapable of living a new life. No, but he's given us a new life, a new life that has faith, a tribe, and a home. If we were just forgiven and then have the same old life, it would, it would be horrible. And it's never taught in the New Testament. The objects of our faith, our love, and our hope are our Savior, our brothers and sisters in the tribe, and our home in glory. But we do struggle, don't we now? We do struggle to live a life, as Paul has says a couple times in his epistles, a life worthy of the calling that we've received. We deal and we get up every morning and live in a culture of unbelief, telling us that to be a follower of God makes you an idiot. And like the church at Colossae, there are false teachers everywhere and content hits us from so many different places seeking to lead us astray. And so we need to make sure that we are grounded that we are solid that we are on on really solid footing. And so with all these challenges that we have and that the church at Colossae had I've titled today's sermon I'd like to speak to the manager. Okay, when you're in life, don't you often feel like that's kind of what you want to say? Can I speak to the manager? We're going to be in Colossians 1, 15 through 23. And so in your ESV journals or your phones or your Bibles, um, if you go there, that would be great. So when have you asked to speak to the manager? This is a dangerous topic because for everyone in here, there's folks in here that you could put four hairs in their meal and they wouldn't care. And there's folks in here that would one hair in their meal and they would lose their mind. So I don't want to talk too much about that. But at the end of the day, when do we call the manager? When do we want to see the manager? We want to see the manager when something's wrong. When something's wrong. Something's just not right. And so in my job, my day job, every so often... One of my team will say, I need to speak to your manager. And they're like, and I was like, Ah, go ahead. I'll I'll talk to them. And in almost every time, someone that might be upset and it's wrong. And when I explain what's actually going on, when I show them the big picture, it changes things. It also helps to speak to someone in authority. That also calms people down. And so what Paul is going to do today is lay the foundation for the rest of his counsel to the church who's struggling. And boy, I got to tell you, it is no small intimidation to preach these verses because they are quite possibly the most beautiful, the most foundational piece of all the epistles, maybe of all of any literature ever written. And so if that means you highlight them, great, but what we're going to look at today is something that really no human is going to do justice to, and I would definitely be in that camp. And so as we begin to peer into it, as we begin to look into Paul's basic response to, yes, there's trouble, well, let me help you. I want us to approach today's passage with humility. We are going to peer into truths today that we can barely understand. And I mean barely understand, but are revealed to us by God. And so I want us to humbly, as we start looking at this passage, acknowledge this. If you think you understand the gospel, you don't. You don't. And you're like, Steve, what are you talking about? Jesus died for my sins and I'm going to heaven. (laughs) Listen. As Paul is going to detail, the beauty, the amazement of creation, a broken creation, a redeemer sent to restore all things is something you will never, ever, ever get to the end of understanding on this side of glory. The truth about God, the truth about Jesus, the truth about his word, is that the more you understand, the more you realize you don't understand. On this side of heaven, we are never going to truly understand or come to an end of learning of the beauty of the glory of God and of the gospel. Paul even says this in 1 Corinthians 13, he says, for now, we, and when he says we, he includes you, he includes me, and he includes himself. He says, for now, we see in a mirror dimly. Hmm. That's Paul, greatest missionary of all time saying he looks and sees dimly and so this is one thing that should mark us as followers of Jesus to constantly be wanting to learn more and more of the deeper things so that we see that we understand less and less and as a result are filled with wonder if the gospel has left you in a place where there's no more wonder, highlight Colossians 1, the passage we're going to look at today. And so by way of introduction, today's passage, verses 15 through 23, are broken up into two basic sections. And so we're going to, we're going to look at them. We're going, to, we're going to dive into some of it. And I really, truly want your minds to be in a place where you're like, what? I I don't have it all? No, you don't. Every time we open God's word, he speaks to us, we learn. And so we're going to look at Jesus in relation to God, Jesus in relation to creation, and Jesus in relation to the new society. That's us. And we talked about that in Ephesians as well. And then in verses 21 through 23, we're going to look at our part. This is what Paul so often does. Hits us with an amazing truth tells us how it applies so I want to read verses 15 through 20 and note that as we read verses 15 through 20 where Paul is describing and this is verse 14 God's beloved son in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins Paul says God's beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins, verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, verse 16. For by him, and if you want to underscore The word all, every time you see it in your ESV journal, go for it. Verse 16, for by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Verse 17, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Verse 18, and he's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Verse 19, for in him all, again, there's that word, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. I hope that as you just listened to those few verses You were filled with a sense of, I'm dealing with something greater than my understanding. But let's dive in. Let's take a look at Jesus in relation to God. In verse 15, Paul says that Christ is the image of the invisible God. And Paul is not talking here of Christ's physical appearance that might be on your grandmother's wall somewhere. Uh, it's not talking about Jesus' image, but to or how he looks, but to his character and nature. Right? Genesis 1 says, God made man in his image, but to reflect his character and nature to the world. Sin marred God's intentions for man. No one's able to perfectly reveal God. But when Jesus entered the world, he perfectly revealed God's character and glory. And so what we get is a sense that the false teachers in Colossae seem to teach that something in addition to Jesus was required for salvation and for truly understanding God, Paul assured them Christ was sufficient. And so if you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. In your daily life, and your thinking about God, if you're going somewhere else and if you use terms like, well, my God... Try not to, if you would. If your thinking about God doesn't point directly to Jesus, we're missing the point of this passage. He's the image of the invisible God. All the fullness of God dwells in him. And so when we look at Jesus, what that does, that prevents us from making God in our image, and that is something we're very good at. It's called an idol In our minds, we tend to fashion God after what we think. We try to squeeze him into a box and project something onto him he's not. And so J.I. Packer has this quote. It's in Knowing God. Again, if your summer reading list is looking for something, the book Knowing God by J.I. Packer, I highly recommend it. He, He says this, Christian minds have been conformed to the modern spirit, the spirit that is that spawns great thoughts of man, and leaves room for only small thoughts of God. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. And so where is the best place for us to look at Jesus? It's the Gospels, folks. Go online and grab an ESV journal for any of the Gospels. I highly recommend a steady diet of the Gospels. It will leave you so grounded and so challenged in understanding Jesus, who is the image of God. Are you new to believing in Jesus? Grab the Gospel of John. Do you find yourself regularly gripped by fear and anxiety? Try the book of Mark. You want to understand how Jesus relates to the Old Testament? Matthew. You want a historian's account of the life of Jesus? Luke. Rinse, cycle, repeat. You will never get tired of the Gospels. You won't, I kind of wish we just did a book of the Bible and then a gospel. A book of the Bible and then a gospel. When you see Jesus and you hear his heart, it changes you. It helps us understand how we're to be in this crazy world, humble, giving of ourselves to others, devoted to prayer, keeping the main thing, the main thing in our lives. Jesus is our model for that. And we learn that in the Gospels. Mini-sermon on get into the Gospels, guys. Now let's talk about what Paul says about Jesus in relation to creation. Okay. Creation, creation of what? Everything. In today's world, you will hear two basic ideas about the creation of the universe. You will hear two basic ideas about the universe. And it's important for those of you that believe that science has debunked the idea that God created the world to listen now. The two ideas are, number one, the universe came From nothing. Idea number one about the universe is that the universe came from nothing. Idea number one about the universe is that the universe came from nothing. I just say that a few times to make sure you hear it. It came from nothing. Sorry. I don't have enough faith to believe that. The other theory about the universe is that it has always been here. It has always been here. The universe has always been here. Um. The problem with the idea that the universe has always been here is something called science. And while I'm not going to espouse a lot of scientific theories from here, Einstein was one of those guys that was pretty smart, and you may have heard me share this up here before. Einstein's theory of relativity demonstrated that the universe was expanding. He didn't like it and he tweaked his original formula to show that, no, that's not the case. Two scientists, who were just about as smart as him, figured it out, called him on it, and he said, yep. So Einstein's theory of relativity points to the fact that the universe is expanding. And for Einstein, that was a game-changer. Because if the universe is expanding, Ladies and gentlemen, hope you're following with me. If the universe is expanding, then it most likely had a beginning. And in case you're wondering where the ideas about the Big Bang theory came from, this is where Einstein asked Edwin Hubble if he could come take a look at his telescope. If you've heard of the Hubble telescope, it's in California. Hubble says, Einstein, sure, come up and look. And the Hubble telescope and you've heard about the Hubble telescope maybe why is because it is the first of the telescopes that was that allows you to look and actually visually see the universe expanding and so when Einstein went to Hubble's telescope and saw visibly the universe actually expanding He said this about God. He said, I only want to know his mind. The rest are details. Hmm. So we've got two theories on the universe. It came from nothing, which, sorry. And it's always been here. Neither of them hold any weight and so as I said earlier, the big bang theory showed up and nobody has any idea what went bang, right? No. Again, these, these are the two basic theories. And so I just spent a lot more time on that than I wanted to. But when someone tells you that you are not being scientific or you're being an idiot because you believe God created the world, I'm sorry, we're not the ones who have a whole lot to explain. And okay. So what does Paul say in verse 16? If you've got your Bibles there, I, don't, I didn't put it up here. We already read it. This is what Paul says about the universe. This is what Paul says, not just about our universe, but about heaven. He says, for by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, where the thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. That's theory number three about the universe, and it takes the least amount of faith. Go with me to Genesis one, if you would. It's right at the beginning of your Bibles. Genesis one, we're quite sure Moses wrote it, and it is a celebration of the creation of the universe in verse 1 in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters verse 3 and God said and I wanna make sure boy we're gonna be here till 2 no, we got to get ready. No, no, <laughs> Kathy's like, no, 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 sorry. I'm going to get to my notes in just a minute here. Do you, I want to make sure you see in the first three verses of your Bible, you see the Father, the Holy Spirit, and the Son. You see the Word in verse 3, and God said, let there be light. Verse 6, and God said, let there be an expanse. Verse 9, and God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together. Verse 11, and God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants. Verse 14, and God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens. It is a beautiful passage of God's creation. And God said, And now I want to hear, I want you to hear this. You have your Bibles and you want to get there quickly. John 1. Go to John 1. I'm going to read the first few verses. Because Genesis 1 says, and God said, and God spoke. It was God's word. John 1, in the beginning, was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Verse 3. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. Okay, this is not, Paul is not starting up a brand new conversation here. He is... He is sharing with the church of Colossae overarching truths about Jesus. Okay? And so, oh, let's keep going. When Paul wrote that Jesus is the firstborn of all creation, he didn't mean God created Jesus, as many claim today. If you are, want to know whether someone's teaching you something and it's a cult, ask them what they think about Jesus. They will say, well, Jesus isn't eternal because of verses like this and I'm sorry, guys, it doesn't work because the very next verse says that he created everything. So it, it, it just doesn't work, and, and truly it's important to understand that Paul was really talking about Jesus' preeminence. Psalm 89 talks about, in a, in a prediction of Jesus, Psalm 89 says, I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. It's not talking about time, it's talking about preeminence. Jesus is not a created being, He's the creator who reigns over all creation. And I hope you can just get the basic idea that there's no way that the one responsible for creating everything could be created. That just makes your brain not work. All that exists, he created, and all that he created exists for him. So why is this important? In verse 16, it says, all that he created exists for him. Notice what Paul includes in the list of what Jesus created, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. Paul wanted to make clear that all authority in heaven and on earth are under Jesus' lordship. All of them? Everything? Bad stuff, good stuff, everything? All things. For him? Yes, all things. Hmm. Let me know when you have that all figured out. But Abraham Kuyper says this. He says, there is not one square inch in all of creation over which Christ does not declare mine. There's so much comfort here, guys. We live like we're in a world out of control. No, no. And verse 17 says, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Everything is held together by Jesus. Hebrews even says he upholds the universe by the word of his power. He doesn't just make the watch and walk away. He holds the world, all of history, every part of your life in his hands, and keeps it going. And he's accomplishing stuff that even if he told us we wouldn't get and so we stand in awe of the fact that jesus is lord creator over all reality even over satan and his demons and he holds it all together and he's the image of god in the world and so we're going to take a look now at jesus in relation to the new society not only is christ over creation he's also over the new creation the church and let again, let's not have this small view of the church. This is a society that God created, set apart. This new society was put together as a result of his death and resurrection. He's the preeminent one. He took the curse for those that were condemned on himself. He who knew no sin became sin for us. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Craziness. Let me know when you have that one understood and figured out. In Romans, Paul even says that creation's now groaning to be free and fully enter the peace that's talked about in verse 20. In verse 20, it says, Reconcile all things to himself, making peace by the blood of his cross. It's coming. Guys, it's coming. And so a word of comfort with Jesus, the creator of all, the sustainer of all, our king of this new society, Eugene Peterson has this quote. He says, the message of the American church is you can do it. The message of the Bible is, uh uh-uh, he's done it. He's done it. And you can, if you can just get a sense of how the church at Colossae, who's struggling with what they're hearing, and about you need to do this, and you need to follow this, and you need to do this more, and you need to fast more, and, you, and Paul's going, Nope! It's done. And so let's review. We saw Jesus in relation to God, it's the image. All the fullness of God dwells in him, creation. It's all Jesus, guys, every bit of it, every single bit of it And the new society we just looked at. So let's look now at our part, verses 21 through 23. Verse 21, and you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Reconciliation is something God has achieved through Christ once and for all. I want you to take a look at verses 21 and 22 They're right there. And tell me what your part is. Hmm. There isn't one there. There isn't. The Church of Colossae had no part in that achievement of being presented holy and blameless. One job, accept it thankfully. They're now reconciled. They're now changed. And that place where that took place was at the cross. It's an act outside of themselves that made them holy people. And you can see Paul, verse 22, look at that. It says, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. That is strange language even from Paul. And what Paul is pushing against is that many of the teachers that were, that were false in Colossae were pushing that it's all spiritual, that this is all just a mess of spirit. And guess what? The physical mind, The physical body doesn't mean anything. And Paul's pressing against that. He's pressing hard against that. And we're going to see more of that as we get further into Colossians. But I want you to hear this too. The verb that's in there, you can see it in verse 22, to present was used in legal language and it means to bring another before the court. I love that. That Jesus is reconciled by his death in order to bring you before the court and present you holy and blameless and above reproach. holy, blameless, and above reproach is how Jesus has presented you to the court. This is nuts. This is mystery of mysteries. We know it to be true. We don't have any idea how it can be. And so what's our part? We were reconciled. We were brought before the judge. Nice job, guys. (laughs) Right? We were brought before the judge. That's your part. We were declared holy. We were declared blameless. This is what a saint is. We go back to when we introduced Colossians, this idea of a saint being someone that does something amazing. No. A saint is someone who's had something amazing done for him or her, one who's been reconciled to God. And as we said, this change of position, this reconciliation is always accompanied by a change of heart. The one who's reconciled is new in Christ, now love a God they formerly didn't trust, and they come to love the things God loves. Let's look at verse 23. And Paul says this, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. A couple words we want to pull out of here. They're to be stable, literally established, well-founded in the truth. First thing God cares about, be stable. Have a good foundation. To move away from the gospel, to move away from that foundation, is to move away from the foundation that Christ built his church on into a place of instability. Also, not only stable, but steadfast. It's a great call in Scripture to be steadfast. You'll see it in a number of different places. It means loyalty to the truth by which they were saved. That's what it means. Not only that, we're not to shift. Not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. Literally means they're not to be dissuaded from the hope of the gospel. Okay? And so what Paul is indicating here is... I'm just going to say it this way, there's much to plumb here, Paul's fundamentally saying true faith endures, true faith endures, and you say, Steve, would you please explain all of that as it relates to my niece who went to VBS and was saved and now isn't living for the Lord? No, I can't. I can't explain that. You ask me to explain God's plan of salvation and what it's doing throughout the universe? No, I will tell you what God's salvation means to me and how that challenges me, and we will celebrate it. But how the whole thing works? Paul has just told us The true faith endures. And what would make you leave these truths? Um, You know what would make you leave these truths? Sorry. You, not the truth of these things, your desires. Boy, there's a lot here. Hmm. True faith endures in the truth, the truth about Jesus, the truth about our salvation, the truth about our future. We are to be stable. We are to be steadfast. We are to be unshifting. May that be said about us. Hmm. May it be said that we were a people who proclaimed that Jesus holds it all together. He's the Lord of heaven, the creator of heaven, the Lord of earth, the creator of earth, the present, the future, all of history, the smallest details of your life, Jesus has them. He's God, perfectly human, perfectly He's the Lord of all time and space, Savior of his people, the Lord and King of the church, this new society. John Piper says it this way, I don't have it up here, but in his book, Seeing and Savoring Jesus Christ, he says, Jesus corresponds perfectly with our personal weariness and our longing for greatness. He's where it's at. And so I want to humbly return us to this point as we close today. If you think you understand the gospel, you don't. You will spend the rest of your life pressing into it, getting more and more understanding. And as you do, you will realize there's more to be had. There's more to be understood. There's more wonder than any of us can possibly fathom. You will never, ever, ever on this side of heaven get to the end of understanding this. And if you're in a place where you're like, well, uh," just kind of ho-hum, I would challenge you to maybe memorize these verses, 15 to 20 specifically. But this is why we continue to press into it every single week here at Hall Center Church. There has to be a lifelong process of more and more deeply realizing the wonder of the gospel. But the heart of it all is the supremacy of Christ. It's all about him. And you know what you can do? You can speak to the manager. You do. You've got somebody that you can go to anytime who has all the authority, knows everything there is to know, can make anything happen. More wisdom than we would ever fathom You can go to the manager, the one it was made for. Wow. And so together, if the singers and musicians want to come up together as a tribe, as a tribe, when I say that, multiple generations of people, we got them here who share something in common. Jesus, we're going to sing to him now. We're going to close with the song, Build My Life. And and last week I made a little bit of a joke about how, you know what, the um, music team, they read through the passage that we're going to be preaching and they look for music that will fit. And, well, they found one. Build My Life says, worthy of every song we could ever sing. Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. Our part, we live for you. Oh, we live for you. Dear Heavenly Father, we pray to you. We seek your wisdom. We thank you for your word. For one big reason, it points us to Jesus. There is so much left for us to understand, Lord. May we be a people who, as we hear these truths, We desire to press into them. We desire to chase them further. We desire to learn more. But may we also be those that when we hear theology like this, we turn it into doxology to you. And so even as we sing now, Lord, may we be praying, may we be seeking, may we be asking for understanding. In Jesus' name, amen.